Ian Trussheim, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. To to ask you, um, going back a little bit, did you feel connected to source? Like, when did you first pick up? I mean, outside of lessons, sort of learning the rudiments, did you always feel, um, or can you point to a time early in your career when you got out of your own way and allowed the music to come through you, you know, from the heavens? Man, I, I, so I'm originally from Delaware. I've lived in Maryland for 20 years now, or just about 20 years. Um, but in the mid early two thousands, like kind of around that John Schofield Uber jam era, there was Mm -hmm. a really cool band in Newark, Delaware called spontaneous underground, amazing guitar player named Sean Cassani. You probably know some of these other guys. I can't remember. I think some of them ended up in that band, The Heavy Pets. But um, you give me too much credit, man. But go no, ahead. No, not yeah. not The Heavy Pets. I forget what they were called. Anyways, there's a great great local bass player. This guy Tony. I'm probably gonna say his name incorrectly. D- Diamato. Tony's a badass, and this was really profound for me. Uh, it wow. was just a house wow. party, and dude, he broke his A string. You know, which is the <laughs> second lowest string. First song of the night. And he played the entire, it's just a house party, but it's like, you know, it's a party, man. People are dancing and they're playing really funky, like kind of Modesky Martin and Wood type stuff. Beautiful. And he just like mentally committed, I'm just going to play the E string. And he was playing really simple one and two note, two note, almost like James Brown percolating bass lines. Sure. And man, it, it blew my mind to see someone like one that knew their instrument that well, that they could just play the whole night on one string, but and I've told Tony that story a couple of times. Over that is the just... gra- one of the greatest stories. I've done 2,000 interviews. That's one of the baddest stories I've ever heard. I know it happens. It doesn't happen a lot. I mean, it's, it, everyone has a story like that. But to see that, as a music, to have that command. And, and, and man, we're, we're hanging out like in a garage. You know what I mean? Like it's like a frat party type thing. But just exactly what you're saying. And I, and I would just thought, that's incredible. And then at that time, I was living in chestertown maryland a really small town in maryland but i would still go up back to newark delaware that's where university of delaware is and there was like a jam band scene going on and we'd play these house parties and stuff and i would always think about uh that tony experience that i witnessed of him playing and we would we'd just be doing these like long funk jams in the basement you know like glow sticks and the lights are off and everything and i i remember um <laughs> just playing like one or two note ostinatos for hours like dude until, that's until the I only had oh blood blisters on my yeah. fingers like my fingers were massive blood blisters on my plucking hand and and i remember feeling really proud of myself but it would that was like this otherworldly experience and and sometimes you wouldn't even know the other musicians it was dark and it's just like some dude you don't even know just funking out on the drums and you're trying to and this is like really i was probably maybe 20 21 years old when this stuff was happening but that that stuff was really uh, I, I'll always remember that. And then, of course, as you get – and my facility was somewhat limited. All of ours were, but it was like this this intention. You know, we were loving P-Funk and James Brown and um, Fela Kuti and all that stuff and doing our best to sort of imitate that in a basement, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I wanted – this is the other thing. So looking back on it, um, I want to – you know, it's, it's funny that uh, – that we're, that we're talking about stuff because a dear friend of mine who I actually need to reach out to Chris Parker who was the original drummer in stuff. And right. then Gad came in, they did double drums. I'm going to read you the story. And then, uh, because you're talking about that, your brother, Anthony, <clears throat> he was, um, 
limited uh, because the instrument was banged up. But this is uh, something different. I want you to listen to it. This is Parker. He said, mm-hmm. I was in New Orleans working on a record with Alan Toussaint and Randall Bramlett. The guy I shared the room with at Howard Johnson had pneumonia. And when I came back to New York, I felt I, like I just wanted to be in bed. I had never felt like this before. They wanted to put me in a hospital, but I had a gig that night with Gad, Richard T. Cornell, Gail, Gordon Edwards. I had the gig and I didn't want to miss the gig. That was the night where I was just playing by instinct. I wasn't thinking about anything at all. I just wanted to get through the gig and play the right notes and go home. That was the night where everyone was coming up to me after the gig saying, you're playing your ass off. Oh my God, I've never heard you play so good. That happened subsequently a bunch of times when you're so sick. You're not thinking about technique. You're not thinking about performance. You're not thinking about somebody in the audience or what's going to happen after the gig or the next gig. All you're trying to do is, is concentrate and survive. Has that happened to, to you? Absolutely. A bunch of times. Can you, I can you talk that. about a memorable experience? Cause like, dude, he was not, he probably could have, he could have died, man. He was really he has, sick. And he was like, I'm playing with Gordon. I'm playing with stuff. That's amazing. man. What a story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, any of my stories are on a much more local scale, but th- I mean, numerous times, especially let's say like, I'm more like talking about the instinct. I don't even care. Like it, it was like how sick you were. Yeah. Yeah. But it was um, like, it was like nothing else mattered. All the other shit that would normally Maybe, excuse my language, but get in your head. It was like survival, and so you just just went for it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like the ultimate being in the moment of what you're doing. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to think of some good examples. I will say, when you were reading that quote, I was thinking of a couple times. I've talked to a bunch of musicians about this. There's something wild that happens like you could have a really high fever or the flu and just feel like absolute garbage but when you're playing music you feel great and then usually what happens is you feel even worse once the last note stops but it's like something happens in your brain uh, I'm guessing that just shuts off that temperature or you know your body is focused on the music and so uh, I've, I've had that several times over the years we're just sick as a dog but you know maybe you can't get a sub or the band just is like man we really need you to be there and you do the gig and, and, and you could be absolutely exhausted. Or I remember feeling really run down one time and having to sit down the whole gig and, and all at the end of it thinking, man, that was great. Like band played really well. And, um, I'm trying to think of other, you're telling times. me that bands will say, we want you that bad that we need you there, even though you're not feeling well. Yeah. Well, um, you know, that one time in particular, it was just a wild circumstance where, it was a live recording session and um, the drummer had a family emergency, so he couldn't be there. And we, we'd already had a sub piano player lined up for the date. And then, so it would have been like three subs out and it would have just been a singer and a guitar player. Oh my God. It would have been the whole rhythm section. Exactly. And the singer basically begged me and it was a snowstorm and she was just, I won't say any names, but she was like, no, it's fine. This is really fat. So, so you, that's beautiful. I I went in and did the live record. Uh, and, you know, there's video of it and I'm sitting on a, like a bar stool and look like I'm about to fall out, out of my chair, <laughs> you know, but, Jeez. but the, the band played great. And, uh, I think sort of to answer your question that that particular instance, I don't think I was thinking about anything. I was just like physically sitting there playing these songs, you know, cause I couldn't, my, I didn't have the bandwidth to think about, you know, did I pay the electric bill this month or whatever? It was just like, okay, play these songs. Um, that you know that was all pre 2020 and we kind of joke about that now where 
people might feel a little differently if you say like I have the flu. They might say, "Oh, go ahead, stay home." You know. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it's one of those things where like when you talk about sort of um, off air, you know, just mentioning like you're trying to be a good guy. You're trying to stay on the righteous path. Musically, um, is there something that you're, you know, I just look at my friends right now, the ones that, <clears throat> that I go see and play music and, and I don't think they traded for the world anyway. Um, but it's like harder than ever. Some it's of it's hard, inflation, man. some of it's, some of it's, uh, <clears throat> so you, the, you know, normally you'd be able to get a, like a bus for an AP span, but you know, with the gas prices, uh, and inflation buses have gone up in cost. So now you're taking a sprinter van, which means you can't bring merchandise. And the only way you really make money is by through merch. I mean, I'm not talking about freaking, you know, Steve Miller, you know, or whatever, you know, tower of power, you know, and mazel tov to them because, uh, you know, but it's like, if you're playing original music as a road dog, it's really hard. I just wonder if that's something under different circumstances you would really want to do. Uh, I would say absolutely. Um, you know, I am, I'm married. I have a beautiful wife and a seven year old daughter that I love. And so that's a big important part of my life. And I've sort of carved out a nice career for myself as a working musician in the mid Atlantic area. And I teach a lot of lessons. Um, so I am happy doing that. That being said, um, if the right opportunity came along, I would love to play in a, in a really killer band and go out and play for the people because, you know, at uh, my core, that's that's one of the things I love about music. I, I would love to be in um, uh, there, there's a really cool band out of Nashville that I'm actually going to do a little run with called Texas Hill. And uh, wow. I'm just doing three dates with them kind of filling in. But I'm excited for that because I like their music. It's. I, t I said it's, it's like Little Feet meets the Doobie Brothers, which is a pretty bold. No, man, right? honestly, that's I, dude. I was just listening to Waiting for Columbus today. Like, I, you know, it's one of those things where I almost I interview all the cats first, and then, like, I mean, it listening to those Little Feet, um, you know, having interviewed having interviewed Payne, Barrera, rest in peace, Freddie Tackett, Gradney, uh, missed Lo I missed out obviously Lowell and Richie, but. Yeah. Dude, man, I mean, it was a fucking great hang, man. I mean, the live shows were killer. Yeah. You know? that, have you, are you familiar with that? I think it's like a licensed bootleg, if that makes any sense now. It's like a live at Ultrasonic Studio, and it was two live radio dates they did in like 73 and 73. I've seen it around. I mean, it, all I know is that. that I'll send were, you a link, man. No, it, dude, it's... I mean, no, because that was my first show at a place called Ebbets Field in denver 73 or 74 live wow. show and absolutely just blew my mind away so that same pocket there i mean That's they just like had peak, yeah. peak little feet man peak so, feet. and the doobies too were fun i mean you listen to like i mean we could just even the you know ted templeton stuff with uh michael mcdonald's just unreal those guys were so man. badass, man. So i mean but uh let's have you have you ever been a road dog prior to marriage and family kid and um were, did might, you ever... it might not be a true statement to say i have i've certainly done uh some touring but it was usually just like a little run here and there i played when i was younger um in a bluegrass band called chester river runoff which kind of dissolved uh -huh. and is now there's a there a lot of those guys are in this band called the high and wides which is really cool man great stuff and um so i did some a little bit of touring with them and um have gone on little runs helping out with other bands i i have a, a trio locally 
uh, called the Morel Trio. And we're our goal next year for 2024 is to try and maybe get on some of the jam band scene. And it's really cool stuff. We're, we're kind of still developing our sound. We just kind of formed the band this year, but definitely a lot of boogaloo and funky, like soul jazz, New Orleans stuff. Oh, my God. Get it on the bandstand. Dude. I know. That's that's what we're – we're just like kind of – working it out now playing at local oh no it's good no yeah let it let it let it grow you know but that would be that i mean that would be the ideal thing because i love those guys a phenomenal drummer named uh mike gambone and and the guitar player grant fisher is one of my best friends and and we really like what we're doing so we all you know we're a little older we're in our later 30s or mike i think is in his 40s and family and kids and stuff so just trying to figure out how to do it right um but that yeah, i dig be, it man i know i do i'm awesome. so fuck i'm so psyched to because i do are you hip to that band butcher brown of course yeah I okay love so guys. like i Andy. just oh my god randazzo like i've interviewed i so i mean i, I saw them at tree ford in boise and you know i'm 40 45 and i've been on this trip for a long time and i interviewed mainly my elders you know but uh yeah. the last few years connecting with my peers but then to like connect with that richmond uh, contingent and now richmond this, is nuts, dude. this mid-atlantic is like now with you and like it, it's like th that whole i will say outside of new orleans most cities are pretty mcdonaldized now they've gotten real gentrified but mm. outside of new orleans the there's a regional scene there's a legitimate regional music scene from maryland down through the carolinas it's there man like, I believe it. I, 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 I mean, you live there, you know. I mean, to me, it's like I know you're not on tour, but it's like, you know, uh, the appreciation for what I consider to be good, good spiritual music doesn't matter what genre it is. It's happening down there. I mean, I saw Butcher Brown. <clears throat> you know, I just interviewed Marcus Tenney. Like, it, it's just like these guys. That was some sophisticated stuff. I was digging I, it, man. I think, man, I, I'll I'll go as far as to say I think Andy is one of the best bass players on the planet. Well, I'm loving that we're talking so, about Randazzo right now, man. I love Andy. I I listened. To the when did you first connect with him? Went. Yeah, what, 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 how did you guys connect? Well, you know what's funny is through social media and Instagram, uh, I feel like Andy and I have been buddies for a couple years, <laughs> but I don't think we've ever actually been in the same room. Yeah, no, I, that's unbelievable. I love it. I freaking I, love I took it. a lesson with him. Um, I, I, I love Andy so much. I think he's incredible. And, you know, as soon as that interview posted, I listened to the whole thing that you guys did. Um, did you dig I it? I love Andy. Yeah. Of course, man. Yeah. I, yeah. I've listened to a bunch of, man, like the Gordon Edwards stuff, the thing you did with Alan, and try, I've, I've listened to a bunch of them, man. Um the, the Gordon one was like just. I mean, to, dude. I know. mean, because it, there's there's Chuck Rainey and Jerry Jamad and yep. And you did uh, one with Bob Glaub too, right? Glaub, Glaub, I and I had. A, yeah, no, he's a great. You know, um. So. Uh, so, so yeah, but yeah. yes, Butcher Brown, man. I mean, they yes, they're based out of Richmond, but they're that band is universal, man. They're just. Uh, <clears> yeah, playing Hollywood Bowl and stuff, you know. I know, dude. They're they're so good. Uh, oh, no, really I want to. Like this them. is a really important question, though. I because so at, at this please, point please. in time, in this moment, you are you've carved out um, the ability to sing for your supper in, in a myriad of different ways through music. And I just maybe it was different when you start. It probably was very different when you started. But what is your advice to cats that are growing up in uh, in different areas of the country <clears throat> who, you know, uh, want want to pursue music as a profession because 
I guess it's just very humbling. And I'm speaking from more of the live experience now, just surviving as a live musician before in the early seventies, you know, all the union, the union would have, you know, hotel gigs. I mean, most musicians were working five, six nights a week, three sets a night. Cost of living wasn't as high. And uh, yeah. there was just and so the many. The pay was kids. the same. The pay was the same, man. <laughs> man was, so, like, I mean, I, like, I mean, how, I mean, it's fine. Like, you know, like everyone's got to figure out a way to make it work as with a family. But um, what would be your advice? Is there any similarities to when you were starting out carving out this niche that there are today that you can, you know, enlighten cats? I don't know. I guess there are some universal similarities that um, I think be responsive, like pick up your phone when, or respond to somebody. If they offer you a recording session or a gig, you'd be amazed how many people uh, I should be careful what I say. It, it shocks me how many people don't return phone calls. Uh, so that's like an immediate red flag for me. It's like, be a good person, learn the music, whether it's uh, a, a cover situation, you know, or if you're playing in a church, like learn how the songs go, show up prepared. Th these are like the givens. So it's like, be a good hang, be a good person, know, know your instrument well and respond to emails and phone calls in a timely fashion. And to me, a timely fashion is like, you know, a couple hours. <laughs> I've had that discussion with other pros around town. It's like, what what is the longest time that someone should be allowed if you know offer them a gig and you don't hear from them? And usually people say like 24 hours, but I'm thinking, you know, if I message someone at 1030 and they haven't responded by six <laughs> o'clock, it's like, I'm, I might, I don't have patience to keep waiting. Especially well, no, like, but it's a different deal because you're, it's not, you're not, it's not just you. you there's other moving parts and you want to, exactly. you want to solidify it. That's more on a, like a local level, but I, I think also. No, I think that's important though. I think, I think, and I, can you talk about like early on when you were just kind of just like, okay, I'm not going to be in the corporate world. I'm not going to do that. I just, um, I guess. I got you really know. lucky, man. Cause I, I sort of like when I, like I said, I lived in Chestertown and it was a small town. The rent was stupid cheap. I mean, like ridiculously affordable. What, like $200 a month or something? I was paying, I think, 300 I, Oh, I think I was my paying, gosh. Yeah. That's sick, man. But, you know, you're like I was in a band, and so it's not <laughs> like I had a whole house to myself. It's a no, band right. house. You were a band house, yeah. And we were, or, you know, we wanted to play, like, Bonnaroo. That was, like, the goal. Or I, I wanted to play Bonnaroo, you know. And it was it was a jam band. And um, I was teaching some locally, just local lessons to teenagers and stuff like that or it's a couple adult students and i, I went to I, I have a degree in music so i had like the that formal education um i'm not saying that everybody needs to do that though it's just uh i i had that and kind of always wanted to be a teacher of some sort not to go too off topic but before i got into music and kind of committed to that i thought i might be like a history teacher you know when you're a kid it's like i don't know maybe i'll teach history so uh i i kind of always had a teacher element i think in the back of my head um but the rent was so cheap man and uh i was playing in that bluegrass band and we were successful on a local level and then i was in my jam band and i was doing a couple bar gigs with just random people or it's like there was sort of like a peter paul and mary like an old folk group and they wow a dude and i was just doing a lot cow. of different things and I, you know it was just this is all local in a small town on the eastern shore of maryland but it was I was making enough money to certainly cover that cheap rent. And I mean, my cost of living was so low. And then uh, I just sort of 
Never. You know what it is? Let's let's talk about this. Like, what, what, <laughs> no, there's a couple things. Yeah. Uh, but when you started to, you know, when other people came into your life, and um, I, I guess what, what is how much of teaching makes up your your gig, and 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 inter- or and how much do you make doing, you know, being a studio shark or playing live. Um, Right. Now, you know, or when, when you, when your daughter was born or when you were like, okay, we're going to, I'm not going to live in a band house. I'm not going to, you know, we're going to buy a house, you know, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I want to say before answering that and yeah. that that was all leading to, and I didn't know it. Um, I was also playing like in small little jazz combos and there was uh, a, a legit doctorate of ethnomusicology and Santeria drumming. And I was learning like, whoa, whoa, these whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa. crazy stuff, dude. Yeah. Santeria, dude. Yep, that was one talk of my to me. Yo, let's just let's just well, talk to me. Talk, I mean, is, are you telling me that? Well, first of all, Bill Summers and those cats are doctors, but this was not like you were learning this on the bandstand. I well, that was part of my college education. One of my professors, this guy, he's you know he's still there, Kenneth Schweitzer. He's a doctorate, has a doctorate in uh, Santeria drumming at like ethnomusicologist, and uh, so you need he was to teaching up that a bunch of us. Oh, yeah, he's just teaching us these little hippies. You know what I mean? Like we were just a liberal. I'm arts down, school. bro. And we were. He was just like, okay, you play this rhythm, and uh, like, and I would be like the guy playing the clave. So a lot of times, or the palitos, which is this like wooden block, and the rhythm sounds like this, like ba do ba do ba do ka ka do do ka. That's it. Ba do ka do ka do ka ka do do ka do ka do. And that's like, that's what you play. So right. everyone else is doing these crazy rhythms and I'd be the Polito guy. And that's just, anyways, my, the, the whole reason I'm saying all that is uh, this wasn't like a plan. It was just happening that I was playing a lot of different styles of music. And that's a big thing I want to say, like to say anybody younger or older who maybe wants to be a working musician. And I'm sure Andy would say the same thing. It's like, just be really ver- uh, well-versed in I heard Derek Chuck say this one time that you got to have multiple streams uh, going into the well. And that really resonated with me. So it's like, if you want to be a working musician, you got to be able to play some jazz, some Latin music, top 40 funk country. It's like, if the music's good, the music's good. And that's, that's always been my thing. So it's like that band, Texas Hill, I was telling you about that. I'm going to do the run with that's kind of this country funk soul thing. And I'm excited about that. Or if I get to play a, straight ahead jazz gig at a wine bar like i'm excited to do that also so i do dude, think... i will freaking blow that place up dude i mean that's yeah. i mean that you know i want you to talk to cats also about i want you to talk to cats about um you know swinging a band a bluegrass outfit or you know folk setting not so much but pl- not being able to rely on the trap drummer to to really hold it down when you have full oh, responsibility, man. the bass fiddle, when you have the full responsibility of, of swinging the band and not having your rhythm partner. Well, you better pray that uh, the sound <laughs> is good in the venue and you can hear yourself. Cause I've definitely done some bluegrass gigs where I'm the only amplified instrument and they got that bass going through the subs. And it's like, I honestly, man, it makes my, heart sink right now just thinking about it because that dude i'm sorry i'm gonna have a panic attack right now i cannot believe you just said that dude are you serious yeah uh, maybe that's just been my experience but i've had a couple some of the worst gigs i've ever had have been bluegrass gigs where i can't hear the band and i'm supposed to be doing that bass thing and 
I can't hear like the mandolin or the guitar doing the chuck. And uh, <laughs> I, this is a true story. I was playing. Um, this is like, it's funny to me now, but it made me want to cry at the time. This was probably eight or nine years ago, but playing a big bluegrass festival in Baltimore. And it was like, almost like they had the bass mixed for a rave. I mean, it was so loud and it was a big stage and I was really far away from the other musicians and we finished a song and somebody in the crowd shouts, turn the bass down. <laughs> <laughs> and man, Wait, oh, I mean, the, this is the great, they had, they had, they had the, the, the sound gear was totally made for electric freaking dance music. And you're yeah, having or, to play that. Exactly. So oh that, my God, uh, is, is pretty heartbreaking. <laughs> Actually, then, I would have had a ball, but no, I dig. I mean, that is there a way to? I mean, I also I would, think, yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, no, just I like, say, yeah, all you, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, dude. I, I, uh, I like always wonder about the idea of. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where, um. I, I realize the venue is important in terms of being able to hear yourself, but you know, guys like Bernard Purdy uh, in the studio or on the bandstand, Chuck Rainey and those guys, I mean, they didn't have any in-ear monitors and what Bernard no. said, Ber what Bernard said was like, Hey man, it could be live or in the studio. It doesn't matter. But if you're, if you have in-ear monitors, then you're listening to yourself and then automatically you're behind the beat. And I just thought that was profound. And I wanted you to talk about how important it is for you to take in that environmental sonic nature and not, uh, you know, because some cats get spooked at certain points in their career. They're playing the beacon. They can't hear themselves. They get really insecure. And then all of a sudden they become reliant on these in-ear monitors. And to me, mm. it's like, you know, I, I just want to get your opinion on that and how you've learned not to use it as a crutch. Sometimes I guess it's inevitable if you're, you know, playing, uh, you know, uh, Peter Gabriel size venues, but you know, what do you, what do you think about that? Well, the other side of that, which is wild, uh, cause I have a, a lot of experience. Um, I mean, I've done countless in-ear monitor gigs because a lot of settings now they don't, then this is kind of a, it is a bummer, but they yeah. don't want amplifiers on stage. So it's like, you know, literally I'm plugging into a bass DI and I have a really nice tube preamp that sounds good, but there's no, bass rig on stage and because they want to be able to control the the sound more than like a guitar player cranking up their amp or the drummers maybe behind a drum shield so no, i want to be clear i want to stop you right there you're talking about they meaning that they have their own sound crew right yeah or it could be like um that church we were talking about earlier like church nativity it's a massive church like basically a How mega big church it? it's mega uh, church wow wow it's big it's very yeah. very big yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a massive production and um you know, that's like a 10-piece band, and not a single person has an amp. It's all ampless, and everyone's using these modular pedals. And, and I, I don't really have a problem with that, but what I really resonated with what you said and what yeah. I guess Bernard was saying is that the people are listening more to themselves. And I and I don't want to be on record saying that. I'm, I don't mean that about Nativity, but I did notice that where it's like, you know, everyone's just got the click track loud in their mix and then their acoustic guitar and their vocals. And it's like, okay... Well, yeah, if you're trying to have this song be the same thing every time, I can see that. But um, <laughs> Go, keep but, going, keep going. No, I, but, no, but I mean, check this is this it. Out. Yeah. So like in this corporate band I mentioned that I play in with that great drummer, John, um, you know, that's a 10 piece band with a horn section. And, and dude, the band is killer. Like I would put that corporate band up against any 
function yeah. band in the country. Like, you know, we'll so I get married again. I'll hire you guys, man. Please do. Yeah, yeah man. I mean, yeah. It, it's a great band. Great singers, entertainers doing dance moves. It's a show. You know what I mean? And, I did. Uh, I did. But when we, sometimes we get, we get to play a bunch of like funky. Um, I'm trying to think of like, you know, we're playing that Michael Jackson, um, boom, 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 but, um, I can't think of the name of that song. Don't stop till you get enough. And it's got all that great horn stuff and our horn section sounds great, but sometimes, uh, uh, yeah, I'll go on record saying this. I'm joking saying that, but it's like, sometimes the band doesn't sound as tight as it, I bet you it would if we had a couple monitors on stage, but it's like, and I've talked to the drummer about that and it's like, you know, everyone doesn't have everyone's mix is different because you can customize your own mix. So like, of course my mix is going to have a lot of drums and bass, but I still have like vocals in there, guitar, piano, cause I want horns. Cause I want to hear that stuff to make sure we're tight, but it's like, I'm going to make up an example. Uh, let's say the guitar player only has guitar and vocals in his voice. I mean, in his, uh, headphones, his in-ear monitors, it's like, how's he going to get funky with the drums and bass? You know, exactly no on stage. I'm like, how do you hear what I'm doing, dude? You need to lock. That's what Bernard was talking about. He wasn't even just talking about the drummer themselves. He's talking about the band. Get, you know, get, listen to everything going on around you, including the environment. You know, to me, like that's part of where new vocabulary can grow in the music. Have you played like, I'm going up to the Pacific Northwest to sort of do some Hunter S. Thompson journalism next weekend. And, uh, nice. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be cathartic. Uh, and, uh, I just like, uh, one of the band, the, the Sun Ra Orchestra with, uh, uh, I guess, uh, Marshall Allen still doing it. Uh, yeah. And I wonder about, like, if you could talk about, like, uh, maybe it wasn't a, sh- a long-lived group or didn't tour, but have you played in a uh, kind of, um, I don't want to say experimental band, but a free free band, free jazz, where or you kind of just reacting to the first sound that you hear and everybody has enough chops to sort of, holds together but you're just you're playing kind of avant-garde music i would love to do more of that um i've done that with there's a drummer buddy of mine in town we'll get together and just hit record and i need to hear those improvise. tapes dude i need to hear those um, tapes it's funny he and i were just talking the other day like we need to listen to the tapes some more also we we're talking about trying to develop some of that stuff um so what is that talk a little bit about that i think that that's the, my favorite kind of music you know to see to hear see people are playing over the edge going beyond what they know and not, I mean, you're, who cares if you're just doing it in the practice shed, but I mean, right. to me, like it's that my ears, how did your ears, where did your ears grow the most on the bandstand? You know, where you could get to a point where you could hear deeper and get to a place where you can even not just comprehend, but play that music. I, you know, it's a bunch of experiences and I certainly, I've done a lot of, a lot of jam bands and I've gotten to play with some really good musicians who will stretch out in different genres. So it might be like a jazz funk thing where there's really extended solos. I was in a a group, like a fusion group, um, that was very much kind of respi- inspired by Return to Forever. Oh, uh, are you kidding me? Um, yeah, and that group was kind of cool, man, because um, the drummer of that is the drummer in P-Funk now, this guy, uh, Ben Cowan. He goes by Benzel Baltimore. Um, and so he's <laughs> been playing in P-Funk. His father has been a trumpet player in P-Funk since the 80s. Um, but Ben was the drummer, and then my buddy Adam Wakefield, who's this Nashville guy that's uh, in this band Texas Hill that I'm going to be filling in for, 
And dude, we were we were going for blood, man. I mean, we were <laughs> we were going for the jugular, and we were younger. You know what I mean? Um, dude, man, is there, so there YouTube was, footage of this stuff? I gotta hear some stuff. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll send yeah, you some stuff. Send there's me some stuff yeah. there, there's a whole album that we never released, but there's some fun stuff. Oh my YouTube, god, you know? dude, that should be a that could be like one from the vaults release or something. You know? We we th we've thought about that. You know what's funny is, man, I, like here you want to talk about ego a little bit That's again like i think i've gotten a lot better since then so i'm almost like embarrassed at some of the the stuff that i, I do, get it no i hear yeah. my voice back when i'm interviewing jack dejanette and richard davis like 10 years ago and I, i'm yeah. very squeamish and i don't know what i really want to say i'm too insecure but you know like then all of a sudden it's like you stop focusing on yourself and you actually hear the answers that they elicit or in your case the music that was played and you realize just as beautiful as anything else yeah. So, you know, I, I'll tell you a cool story because um, I know you're like a funk guy also. And so I, I have a couple of thoughts going on here. Like, I, well, I, I know I there's one done... cat. There's one cat. I just want to drop his name because, dude, he's the funkiest dude. Please. I, I, I've only seen him to my chagrin only one time live. But I know that you're because he can play in these sort of more country psych settings. But he is the funkiest dude is Chris Jacobs, dude. Dude, I used to play with Chris. <laughs> I know that's why I brought it up. Again, I, I got that from the, the oh, outdated yeah, 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 bio, yeah. you know. But I'm like, dude. It, oh, it, yeah, my me, outdated bio, that's right, yeah. Yeah, but I was like, yeah, dude. Chris is you the know, man. Oh, dude, I mean, seriously, like, dude, he melted my face off in New Orleans during uh, – I was down there for Mardi Gras one year. But he's one of those guys. Go ahead. You you riff wherever you want to go. Well, I mean, that that's a good example. Uh, Like, Chris would get in the little bit that I got to play with him. That was a fun uh, – chance to jam and to really stretch out i would love a, an opportunity to play with him again there's a there's a great guitar player named um jonathan sloan who played with chris for a while and jonathan plays with uh, anders osborne now wow. um, jonathan is a phenomenal guitar player and singer and writes his own wow music. dude and, you're uh, dude you so dude this has been so divine man like you dropped about two dozen names of cats oh man <laughs> i got yeah, more for you brother but yeah no man you just opened the beast, ball man, man. No, no, I, so so he, check out Sloan. Yeah, I will, man. Yeah, so, no, man, I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you uh, a couple cool clips of um, Sloan and I playing uh, with his trio, where it's it's definitely like in that rock funk thing. But w when we solo, it gets really open, almost like the way the Almonds would do sometimes. Right. You know, oh, I dig it so much. Not, uh, this is unreal. It man. can just kind of break down to nothing. But um, or like can't heat or something. Man. Yeah, please. Yeah. 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 Uh, but like in a, in a funk setting, and I wanted to bring this up earlier and I, I forget what happened. So I'm glad we're coming back to this, but <laughs> we, you know, talking about groove or when I said that thing about like feeling like I needed to propel the music forward, but in hindsight, it would have been better to just groove. And there's a wonderful, uh, here's another name for you, a guy, Brooks Long and Brooks Long and I went to college together. We happened to be live in dormitories next to, or the, the, the dormitory we lived in, we were right next door to each other, but Brooks is a prolific songwriter and he does a lot of things he has a cool radio show locally and uh kind of, you know an unofficial ethnomusicologist this guy knows so much about music and uh, i dig i owe i owe so much to brooks because man he, he turned me on to like everything all the, all the cool stuff man like you know uh the band sly and the family stone um, how old is this guy is he is he, our, is he our, is he gen x or what how old is he 
I mean, yeah, he's, I guess he's probably 37, 38 or 30. Right. Yeah, he's 37. So during college, he just was spinning records and hipping you to stuff. Is, that was and just... this is all like pre, you know, YouTube didn't even exist yet. So we're just putting all, either vinyl or CDs and sure, I mean, sure. so many things, you know, he hit me to Prince and this guy just knows everything. And, um, uh, well, that's a bold statement to say, but he, he's a very knowledgeable guy, but so he and I put in, I'm talking hours and hours. He was in that band. I said, where our rent was dirt cheap and, then he and I moved to Baltimore and had a different outfit called the. Uh, it was Brooks Long and the Mad Dog No Good, and we were. It was like a soul. He called it rock and soul, and um, we would do. We man, we played a lot of shows around town and did like a little bit of regional touring, and um, how is rock do, and soul different from rhythm and blues? I'm that's curious a great about question. Yeah, man, I, I, I think that's a question for Brooks Long. Okay, I will, I'll I'll hook that. But you guys were playing like like country bar. What kind of what kind of venues were you playing? anything dude i mean it could be bars <laughs> like you know uh it was like have gear will travel right um, right dig i mean we played in like a old boxing ring that was just sort of like a pop-up party spot you know um it's so badass had they taken the ropes down they took the ropes down the ropes were still there there would like they, i feel like there was people still like walking around with boxing gloves we weren't in the ring we were in like a facility oh my god i thought that would have been like so rocky three right that would there. yeah seriously yeah, but yeah. You know, brooks is the man and and yeah. super educational guy but um he really hit me because we would do we would jam you know like but it was real real funk like where it would just be on the one chord and just oh finding that groove god. and um but i was kind of developing i was studying with some some uh I'll say in the bass world, some like bigger name people. And so I, I was kind of at that place in my life where I wanted to show people that I, I knew how to play, you know, which is not the place to be. And Brooks was the one that pulled me aside. And he had this really fun song called Edmondson Avenue, which is like a notorious long road in Baltimore. And uh, it was called Edmund, Edmondson Avenue Bop. And we would just funk on this thing for really long periods of time. And he just said, man, he's like, you're changing it up too much or something like that. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he's like, you're just, you're changing the baseline too much. You need to like play an idea and commit to it. And I'll always be f grateful for that because I had to reflect on it, but it was almost like if we're thinking a, a two bar, you know, couple beats of music, then the next couple beats of music, I'm doing something different. It was like never really developing a story or letting the band get into the groove because I was changing the groove. So, wow. Well, you um, think before that, he, before he said that, were you doing that a lot? I think I was. Wow. I think, I think that's probably. Wow, that is profound, man. Yeah. No, that was really, that was a big one for me, man. Um, and I mean, I remember, honestly, like I was, I'm younger than Chris and those guys and, and Dusty and. Um, yeah, man. You know, not. Another badass dude. Yeah. Badass dudes, man. And, and they, yeah. they, I think uh you know I, that was a tough one for me when i didn't get to play with them anymore but it was a really good learning experience for me of like man i just got to get i got to get better at the bass and and give give these guys what they need but i'm grateful for that chris would say stuff like you mentioned kenny gradney and he would say like man i just think about what like what would kenny gradney do or what would rick danko do and i remember at the time thinking yeah man like i listened to little feet i listened to the band but i i wasn't in that headspace um uh, you were actually way. you were being you were being uh you were just a little too busy uh i totally get it i mean you know i think yeah. in some ways like that impulse to oh i gotta keep you know um 
I, I have to keep moving this forward. It doesn't allow like that undulating groove to develop underneath the whole thing where you, and that's really hard. Vamping is very hard to do. Think it about really the is. payback, the James Brown song. Can, can oh. you hear that song in your head? Yeah, Absolutely. Imagine if the bass player did anything else but that bass line. Yeah, dude, he was player. just like rocking back. Yeah, dude. It was just it like, would, a, it, yeah. They'd be like, what are you doing, man? You know, it's like, that's that's the thing the song needs. And, and I, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't musically mature enough to, to dig that yet. But I, I definitely, I get, really get off on that now, you know, especially. No, it's also true, like Danko and Gravity did some studying. What What was the, like. What do you? What was the greatest thing you took out of the academy? And I say this because, like, um, I look at—I mean, back in the day, Charlie Mariano, you know, he would go to uh, the Schillinger House, which was Berkeley before Berkeley, and you know, because he was, you know, an, a, he was addicted to heroin. He'd come off the road for two weeks, uh, clean up, maybe learn a new instrument, and then get back on the road. There was so much work, and this is the jazz community. Mm-hmm. You know, the academy now—I uh, mean. I'm glad that it provides a paycheck to a lot of these cats that are teachers there. And there's a lot of good teachers, but it's just, it's not authentic to me because those guys were learned under a completely different system than what the way they're implementing it now. And what I mean by that is just a lot of guys that I've interviewed, they just, they didn't even finish Berkeley, you know? And, And it just speaks to the idea, I guess the overarching, I don't want to bash the Academy, but I guess the overarching thing is, do you still feel – I'm not talking about you because you've actually been just working your ass off for years yeah. to, do, to get where you are. But in general, do you feel that our society still views a musician as a viable profession or do you do – or do unfortunately a large minority of people are enough – view music as a musician's gift to the world? Therefore, it should be pay to play play for the door. I mean, you're talking about, it's like, I don't want to go way too off here, but it's like you go to a festival or you go to a club and they're not allowing monitors on stage because they want to control the sound. That means that like, yeah, cats that are like cats that are, you know what I'm saying? Cats that are true to the art form would have to pass up those gigs, but maybe those gigs, they, those, and a lot of those gigs probably pay great money. Anyway, I'm off my soapbox. You can go wherever you want with that. Well, no, I hear you, man. There's, you said a lot um, that I, I agree with. And I'll say this because, uh, you know, I do – I teach a bunch, and, and we can get back to that because you were asking about, um, sure. you know, how much of the – like what are the percentages of teaching versus gigging versus recording or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Before I answer that, so I went to this small liberal arts college called Washington College, and I actually went there to play lacrosse, and I – then got really into music so it's, i didn't go there with the intention of I, I like i said i thought i'd be a history teacher or maybe an english teacher or something and i got a phenomenal education man it was such a small school there was the year i graduated this is how small it was man like there was three music majors by the time i graduated so it was basically like one-on-one practically the last two years of college i was taking one-on-one daily lessons in composition or sounds like one of the most that's like a unicorn experience it was awesome so everybody that wants to go to these household name uh, music schools i think that's great uh but all my like younger students i'm like man find like a cool liberal arts school that you're interested in and you can get (laughs) 
a fantastic education. But then the other side is that is like, I don't even know, I, I wouldn't encourage anybody to go into that kind of debt. It's like, find a good teacher locally that, um, you know, you could find the local badass jazz drummer and learn your rhythm and your swing from them, even if you're not a drummer, and then find a great piano player and learn your harmony and your composition from them and then find a good bass player that you like the way they play and they can talk to you about tone and hip you to some records you should check out and then you'll be spending a couple thousand dollars versus uh like a lifetime of debt so right um, that's interesting i mean did, did, this is the question did what was the best thing that prepared you for the bandstand in the right. in your in your academic setting because it was a small college maybe there were right. jam sessions i can't see there being a hotbed of gigs but what was the one thing that you could take out that mentally prepared you for the bandstand? Well, I mean, I don't know if any of that prepared me for the bandstand. It just gave me the it gave me a good education, uh, a solid foundation in music theory. You know what? I'll say I, I had a great um, teacher who I, I was trained playing upright and electric, and I've never really got serious about the upright, so that's my own bad for not taking that seriously. But this was a guy, Tom Anthony, he's, he's still alive. He's an older guy now. And he did a lot of gigs, man. He was playing up in New York before amplification. And he would say, you know, back when I was gigging, it wasn't who was the best bass player. It was who had the biggest bass sound because there was no amplification. I amplifier. love it. how round was the sound. Man. Exactly. And, and Tom, Tom is that. the man. And he was like a virtuoso, like, um, classical guitarist. What's his guitarist name? As What's a this kid. Cast name? Tom Anthony. I mean, oh he's my probably God. Late dude, you are dropping now. so many names. I see them in the gray beards, man. Yeah, um, dude. I mean, but yeah, Tom that, is, Tom's yeah. like kind of living a quiet life on the Eastern shore, but, but man, he gave me, I would have to credit him because he was like giving me gigs when I had no business doing gigs. Cause he was so busy. He would regularly double book himself and then be like, Hey, can you go do this theater production of the Fantastics? Because uh, I got to go do a gig in Pennsylvania <laughs> or something, and I had no business doing those gigs. But um, I mean, he, you know, he was he was giving me some work, and I didn't even realize it. Like I said, the, the, this. Well, if I didn't say it, I, I really do feel like the music thing has just sort of been this wonderful unraveling. Um, and just in the last year, man, the last since twenty twenty three, I feel like so much amazing stuff has been happening, and. Uh, Can you I give some like examples? Give some examples. Well, um, well, you say the great unraveling. That's a great line. What does that mean? Okay, so I kind of set some intentions recently of things I wanted to accomplish. Um, I was feeling a little stuck with what I was doing musically, and I'm grateful. Uh, and I guess, you know, I like I said, a big part of you asked about like sort of percentages. I was teaching a lot locally and playing in a corporate band and playing in church and then doing an insane amount of bar gigs, like sometimes working seven days a week for months on end and just running myself into the ground. But let me so ask you a question. Of, well, yeah. Let me just stop you. <laughs> you did that just to get to play the music you love. You weren't, you were making money off uh, the teaching the church and the corporate gig. You were making well, money. No, off the, bar the bar gigs was like, it was all, it was all to keep the lights on. You know what I mean? Put bread on right. the table, take care of the wow. family. Um, we wow. homeschool our daughter. My wife is a, super mom you know staying home and really raising <laughs> our daughter and that's so cool. you know we're uh working off of my income um but wow wow it's my my couldn't do it. my wife is absolutely amazing man she's she's i know she's I, 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 I bet she must be amazing i i'm curious about so you were probably seven how many how many sets a night 
Oh, ridiculous. Just, you know, like uh, 8 to 12, three-hour sets, that type, type of stuff. And um, But it would be like teach during the daytime. I mean, just it was not sustainable, man. I was uh, – the bags under my eyes were apparent. And the amount of people that were asking, like, or telling me how tired I looked, I was like, okay. Um, so, so what? tell me what you did. Well, I, I guess uh, I prayed and just was, like, ready to um, not – I want to be careful what I say because I, I, I have a lot of friends that make a career like doing the bar gig stuff and it just wasn't sustainable for me and being a family man. And so I, I kind of wanted to double down with the teaching um, and a, a wonderful opportunity came. I don't, this may or may not be on your radar. Um, there's a hmm. great, uh, there's a guy named Scott Devine in England and he's got this company called Scott's Bass Lessons and he's built literally like a online base education platform. Um, I mean, he's got like over a million subscribers on YouTube and just a massive online uh, educational platform that's uh, subscription-based. And uh, upon my wife's uh, recommendation, encouragement, and encouragement, I reached out to Scott and just said, hey, man, if you're ever like looking to hire um, additional teachers or coaches for your, your program, please keep me in mind. And Scott and I were I can't say we were friends, but we were internet friends. You know, we followed each other on Instagram and, and he responded uh, a couple months after I sent that message and just said, I might have an opportunity for a, a bunch of teaching for you. Let me know if you're interested. And, um, and you know, some of it is private within the Academy, so I can't give all the details. Well, no, I'm, I'm curious just, about, I'm, I just want to know yeah. for people that are listening out there, did you send him like, was I it messaged like, him on Instagram. <laughs> no, I did. Believe me. Listen, I've yeah. connected with hundreds of people through exactly. new media. It's new media. It's not social media. It's new media. And yeah. that's what yeah. people don't seem – they're using it socially. But the point is, um, like, would you were you expecting him to check you out on Instagram or did you send him some, some clips to check out? Well – I always feel a little self-conscious saying this stuff, but he, you know, we, we, we follow each other in that term. Sure, and sure. he would like some videos that I would post, not like every video, but I think it was around the time where he had maybe liked something I had posted. Uh, I got the notification and that's when my wife was like, you just send him a message, you know? And, um, and, but this guy's, I mean, he's amazing, man. You should check out, or maybe it'd be fun to get him on because yeah, he's, yeah. he's doing for the specifically the base community. And it's like, if you're a bass player in 2023, you know who Scott Devine is and Scott's Bass Lessons. And, dude, and the thing is, he's got all these great guest artists that come on and do these courses, educational courses or um, workshops and podcasts. And it's it's a really amazing thing in the bass world, and I'm truly honored to be a part of it. And so that getting hooked up with Scott's Bass Lessons, man, was like a total game changer because immediately it was um, – a large percentage of what I'm doing on a weekly basis. And then I could be more selective and uh, with the gigs that I want to do. And I wanted to get back to playing more creative music and, and I write a lot of music. So I wanted to have chances to play my music, you know, and, and maybe record my music. Um, and so doing the Scott thing has allowed me to not be working gigging seven nights a week. And, you know, I still do the corporate band and the church thing, but I am being, uh, oh, that's fantastic. So yeah, you were, you were blessed again, you know, it's huge, man. And then like, yeah. for example, um, I think one of our mutual buddies, George, uh, Slepik, the amazing drummer. Yeah. What a great cat, man. Great, great cat, great drummer. Yeah. Uh, one of the best. And I've been doing just once again, you're talking about new media. I've been new taking, media dog, 
taking drum beats that he posts on Instagram and then wow. writing music to him and then just putting a video up on Instagram where I'm playing like it's usually <laughs> just a picture of me playing the bass to his drums but I've added like piano and guitar um I'm not I'm certainly not a professional pianist or guitarist but I like to dabble at home and uh and George this happened just the other day and I posted a video I did of his and he said I need to make a record with this cat. And then we ended up talking on the phone for like 40 minutes and we're trying to find a date to get together to record an album together. And that was like, literally, man, that was something I said, like, I was like, that's a guy I want to play with. You know, I love Baltimore. I love, there's so many great musicians in Baltimore. Uh, I had decided I want to expand past the mid Atlantic. It's like, you know, well, there you right? go. That's my, that's my point. Cause he's down in North Carolina and Asheville. Exactly. So it's like, it's like, I'm telling you, there's like this stretch of, of sort of homespun down home. It's about the people really. I mean, it's in so many ways, I love the music, um, but there's a certain aesthetic to a certain musician uh, that really appeals to me. And uh, yeah, and I just, I wanted, before I wrap up set one here, Please. I, I yeah. just wanted to uh, ask, you know, I, my, I have two daughters. I just had an opportunity to, their mom was on a, out of town for a couple of weeks. So I just spent a couple of weeks with them. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, I mean, we normally see each other every other week, but it was like uh, an extended period of time. And, you know, they really, they're at 17 and 11 years old. I mean, they are uh, a huge inspiration for me. A lot of people, a lot of parents might come in uh, and write, you know, that's just uh, stood the test of time. You know, there's a hierarchical structure in the family um, and uh, your kids are supposed to make you proud, but they're not necessarily supposed to give you uh, some people get bogged down with the responsibility of it or um, taking things a little too seriously or getting, you know, and for me, my kids have pushed me out of my comfort zone uh, mm. that like, no, like the way nobody else has done. And I wonder if you can talk about how your daughter has inspired you in your journeys. Uh, I, she literally reminds me like she'll actually <laughs> remind me. Uh, to think about when I was being a kid, because as we've said, like this musician lifestyle is not an easy one, especially when it comes to providing for a family. Uh, and I think sometimes I just get so maybe consumed in adult responsibilities. And uh, so she's helping me remember that it sounds like cheesy, but the, the, the childlike wonder and the childlike innocence, or it could literally, she might just be asking me a question. Like, do I remember, um, something funny that happened at the beach when I was a kid. And then I have to like stop what I'm doing, whatever I might be stressed or overwhelmed about in that moment. And <laughs> think back, like, all right, let me go back 30 plus years in my mind. Like what's something funny that happened at the beach, you know, a right. fun memory that I have. And I'm saying that as an example. And of course I can't think of anything, but little things like that, or, um, yeah, making an effort to be a good, good dad. Right. I mean, just like putting in the, cause like I'm not always present. I'd say uh, 10 out of 10 times with that's my hard. daughters. If I'm present three, that's pretty good. I mean, three out of 10, that's 300 in baseball. You're pretty good. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're approaching Tony Gwynn territory. That's right Tony Gwynn territory right there. Yeah. All right. And that Man. dude, or yeah. What, what, I mean, Tony Gwynn's a, I mean, dude, the stud, but I mean, uh, yeah, old school baseball dude. Yeah. And it's just great to, uh, to know that a guy with that body could actually have played major league baseball. I know. Un I know, unbelievable. Man. Hey man, Let's say goodbye here. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Uh, it was just such a such a great honor to talk to you. You really uh, brought my spirit up today. I'm sort of churning with a lot of energy, getting ready to hit the road, and uh, 
was the perfect tonic was was this hang so thank you brother i i'm blown away man i i this has been awesome i'd love to do it again and uh thank you for having me i'm a big fan of the show and it's awesome to talk with you and have a great trip up northwest. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. And uh, <laughs> seeing yeah, I'll say dude, just uh, real quick with the please. you know about my daughter. Like one yeah. of the things I love doing with her is just just even going into like uh a not even a state park, like a local park that's got some woods and stuff, and just kind of seeing like that kid's view of things, like the way the trees are blowing in the wind, or the birds, or digging in the sand and. You know, we could get down in the sand and dig in the dirt also. And um, I hope you get to do some of that kind of stuff when you go up northwest, man, because that's uh, the, the presence thing we're talking about. And I Well, no, I'm, actually, this is, no, this is going to be a full rogue journalist trip. No kids on this trip for me. But, well, I'm saying I'm saying do it yourself. I know the kids aren't coming, but, you know, absolutely, dude, get out oh, there and my, look at the trees, man. Yo, man, I'm going to be deep. Thank you for the reminder, by the way, man. Yeah, Thank you for that reminder. Before we go, um, pronounce your name one more time. Uh, Ian Trussheim. Ian Trussheim, welcome got to it. the Jake. No, hold on. Ian Trussheim, welcome to the Jake Feinberg show. Good, because that was that that I, I have to give a, an intro to the because we we that first fifteen minutes was amazing. We and lost it. That's all. That right, was a man. talk with the spirits, man. All right, that wasn't I, meant well, for the public. We can do. Yeah, you're right, and we can do that you another know? time. I always yeah, try to be will. careful with that stuff because I'm like, no, dude, like, you were. You know, I, it was just like I. That's where my my head's at these days, man. I'm, there's no agenda, you know. So I appreciate you going there with me. Awesome. I yeah. hope I hope that uh, this was was uh, worth on, your time, man. Come on, I really appreciate no, you this, dude. Give me a break, dude. I mean, I dude, I can't remember the last time I had a bad interview, dude. Well, that's awesome. This well, whole let's thing do it is again, all, man. Yeah. Hey, man, I'm gonna send you some stuff to check out. Also, definitely no. I, and I honestly, I gotta be honest. Send me whatever you want, and uh, definitely the. The cat that you're going on tour with, uh, I can't. Yeah. National cat, and then yeah. also the cat who's playing with Anders, and also oh, Jonathan the, Sloan, yeah, and also the cat that you play the drummers with the corporate gig, and also right. the, the the also the um the the quiet simple life on the Eastern Seaboard, that old school cat with the bass at. Oh, Tom Anthony, yeah, yeah, and I want to send you some of my stuff, also, man. I did a live stream in 2020 that I'm really proud of. It's oh, all dude, send me, dude, please, man, and please send my love to Sloppic because you two should be cooking the groove, man. Yeah, and that's that's like a when I was saying that, I was like maybe I shouldn't be talking about this, but that's I'm excited about it, man, because I was like that was like this is a guy I want to play with, and then we're on the phone for 40 minutes, and he's like, yeah, man, what are you doing? You know, come down to Greensboro, like that type of thing, and I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. That was two days ago, and then you hit me up, and I told my wife, "I'm like, what is going on?" Yeah, right now? no, it's this guy. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> this is God at work, man. Absolutely, man. Much love, dude. All right, man. Can't wait till the next one. Thanks, Jake. All right, brother. Be cool, man. See you. You too. Peace.